0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
1: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music.
0: You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.
1: Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and joining me today once again is the host of Shake Them Ropes, which is also available on the VOW podcast network. It's Jeff Hawkins. Jeff, welcome back, man.
0: I am so stoked for this episode. I'm finally something in my wheelhouse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've told me for quite some time now that you wanted to do an episode like this. Um, in fact, the last time you were on was the Mania episode back in April. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you told me again that the next time you were going to be on the show, you wanted to do this topic. And, uh, well, here you are.
0: Well, I, I, I think
1: it's missed by
0: fans of, you know, as you know, I'm a little older than probably most of your listeners and also yourself as generations go on. I think people miss the relevance of real music to wrestling and how wrestling as a, uh, time capsule, so to speak, really. I mean, the music helps connect wrestling to the popular culture. And I think WWE misses a lot of that these days. And it's totally understandable why WWE does what they do. They do what they do, you know, the licensing for music, look, they, these, these promotions never had to pay royalties to the people for using their music. And that's wrong in many respects. But at the same time, you know, you look at the the interest in CM Punk after they licensed Cult of Personality, you look at Ronda Rousey now with bad reputation by Joan Jett. And it's a different feel than what you get with the standard Jim Johnson, CFO type of, type of you know, assembly line themes.
1: Yeah. So uh, we might as well get into it right now. Uh, this is episode 46 where we will be taking a look at a selection of real songs from the territories. And if I remember correctly, Jeff, growing up, you were not a WWF household. You were an NWA mm-hmm. household. Uh, that was your territory, so to speak. Could you explain to me and, and to the listeners what that was like growing up? Because I only know watching wrestling, what that's like from 2003 onwards, uh, where it's so convenient to find on the internet and on TV every week in high definition. You know, what was it like for you? Watching a Jim Crockett show or whatever uh, back in the '80s.
0: Well, it, it's also one of those things where the onslaught of cable—cable cable was not as prevalent in every household in America as it is now. It, it, it cable really changed the game for for a lot of this, and for for me personally, I I grew up in a middle class household, lower middle class, if you want to go with that. So, I mean, we had three channels of broadcast TV, two UHF channels and PBS. And Jim Crockett in in the mid to late 80s was the territory because the WWF would not come south of Baltimore at the time. They were they were nationally expanding. They, they were still getting the things like like Saturday night's main event and stuff like that. And that was really my kind of first exposure to the WWF product. You were aware of this product because of the magazines, but you were kind of beholden to what programs you got on your syndicated thing. And Jim Crockett Promotions was such a hot territory In the Carolinas and Virginia, they had three syndicated shows. They had Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, Worldwide Wrestling, and and, and another one whose name escapes me at the time. But, I mean, I could watch two NWA episodes every Saturday, one on one channel in the afternoon and one on one channel at night. When I finally got the Superstation TBS, because I got cable around, I think, 86 or 87 when I moved to a new house – I mean, that just helped because then you had other options on the 605 show that you had as well, but for the most part, you're kind of beholden, and, and even earlier than me, you're kind of beholden to the wrestling you had within your driving distance because that would be the territory you got. So in Texas, you'd have world-class if you lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you know, the sports arm was driving distance. And then if you could get syndicated shows, you know, if you were living in kind of a area like like say a Georgia where you could like have crossover and stuff then you would get those packages as well you know this kind of different wrestling here and there so so it's really kind of a lost phenomenon to a lot of people that this this regional wrestling territory type of thing because everybody is so used to it being a national product where the WWE and even you know late stage WCW were going to every state in the union and had popularity you know, nationwide.
1: Yeah, like I said, I started in 2003, and seeing the differences between the 80s and the 2000s is striking because I've only known WWE as this global juggernaut, as the the biggest dog in the fight. And and oh, go ahead. Oh no, I, I
0: was just gonna add,
1: and and you asked, and
0: I kind of skip your question. What
1: was it like for me growing up?
0: NWA was a gritty, it was based, it was a sports-based promotion, men with, you know, legitimate athletic wrestling backgrounds who, who you know, and the story, Kayfabe, is that they went from amateurs to professionalism, and here they are, you know, they had their gimmicks and things, but they were more based on their true-to-life personas turned up to 11 as opposed to the WWF, which the first time most of my friends and I, who knew wrestling, watched WWF, it was like, well, what is this cartoon crap? Because it was a little bit more, uh, you know, sizzle over steak, so to speak. The the work rate, the athleticism wasn't as good. The guys were a little bit more, um, they were jacked up bodybuilder types who couldn't move around as well as the real athletes and stuff. And the characters were, to put it mildly over the top, you know, your Hulk Hogan's you're under the giants. It was more of the spectacle of it, which is what Vince wanted, which is what Vince thought sold in the Northeast.
1: Yeah. I'm sure there are entire generations of wrestling fans who don't know what it's like to have anything else. They, they yeah. only know the bright colors and crazy characters of WWE, and they may not have ever had the curiosity or the passion to seek out other wrestling like ring of honor or new Japan or PWG or whatever. And that's not me casting aspersions on them. We all have our own different levels of fandom, but it is, I think fascinating to, to ponder Jeff. If you want, if you want a culture shock, go on the network and
0: watch like a, even from something from before my peak time, go to like a 1983 or 1984 mid South episode And watch it and watch how it's like the pinfalls are on like back body drops and suplexes can actually finish a match. There's no finishers involved either. It's just they do a move and they're athletes so they can pin a guy for a three count. And they're really putting over the, you know, in amateur wrestling, you put them down for a one count. But in professional wrestling, you put them down for the three. It's a much tougher sport, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's that's kind of the world that these territories south of the Mason-Dixon line really relied on for their stories.
1: Different experiences, yeah, that's that's for sure. And that includes the music, too. You know, Joe and Rich on the flagship talk all the time about how wrestling is constantly evolving, whether it's the in-ring stuff, the characters, the visual presentation, the accessibility. Wrestling has changed so much over the decades and the concept of music in wrestling has changed so much as well, because to me, the idea of real mainstream music being the norm across wrestling, as it was for you, Jeff, back in the day of the territories, that's all foreign to me. Mm-hmm. Myself and my generation of wrestling fans and the, the generation of fans bef- before me and after me as well, were used to in-house composers. We're used to Jim Johnston and Jimmy Hart and Dale Oliver and Yonosuke Kitamura and production libraries providing the music and the themes for wrestlers. It's not universal, obviously. You still have the indies and Japan and Mexico and whatnot that are still using real songs for wrestlers. But to me, mainstream wrestling, wrestling that is on TV or on a streaming service like the WWE Network or New Japan World, that is an in-house music world because of copyright laws and licensing fees and whatnot. Whereas for you growing up, it was real bands and real songs. But then again, you know, speaking to the idea that wrestling evolves, I'm sure in the 70s and the 80s, the mere notion of wrestling having any music at all was a major change because when wrestling started, there was no music. You know, guys would just come out to silence. It would take a gorgeous George using pomp and circumstance or a, a Mildred Burke to introduce the notion of entrance music into wrestling and to get it, to get that ball rolling pretty much. And even then, it took a number of years for it to spread across the country and across the business
0: you you're exactly right and, and even deep into my fandom in the NWA um you know it was still guys walking out in boots and trunks sometimes with a manager sometimes not no music and just the ambiance of the crowd but the those acts that did use music um you know they they were very special and there's a few of those on this list here but what i wanted to say mostly was wrestling evolves but the point of the music was still the same it is to set a tone for the characters you are about to watch that it sets the ambiance for that it it sets okay this is i mean most acts back then when when trying to when if they had theme music we're picking a song that fits the personality of this act or it sets a tone for what you're about to see. And that's all these canned type of themes that the WWE are trying to do as well. So the point is entirely the same. It's just become a little bit more uh, corporatized, for lack of a better term.
1: I was trying to think earlier uh, as to why the explosion of wrestling music happened around this time, you know, the 80s. And, And I have a theory actually go for it you can look at the history of pop music and its exposure in our culture it's just grown exponentially over time you started off with the concerts the live performances from concerts you go to records from records you go to radio from radio you go to tv the exposure and the presence of pop music keeps getting bigger and bigger over time. And when you reach the late 70s and 80s, at that time, pop music is everywhere. You've got hundreds of radio stations across the country. You've got albums that are selling millions upon millions of copies. You've got something called MTV, which is this entire TV channel dedicated just to music. That is this juggernaut of pop culture and was known to help bands sell more albums. Music is now everywhere. And it makes total sense that at that point in time, pro wrestling would get on the bandwagon and have guys come out to popular songs and make music videos featuring the wrestlers performing moves or showing off their bodies or whatever. And of course, the popularity of the music boosts the popularity of the wrestlers so that's my that's my reasoning as to why this era is when wrestling music became so popular
0: well no i and and music video i mean it, it's m t v music videos existed before m t v um you, you see you know live recordings and live like that um one of the acts on this thing as well is is really one of the progenitors and really the driving force and that would be the Freebirds. Um they really are the ones who brought I mean look, Axe used music, you know, sporadically and stuff like that, but the Freebirds were like, this is going to be a package presentation. You know, you have the arena, you have the speakers, you have the blaring music. It's all part of the act. And it's part of the packaging and part of the marketing here and and whatnot. And really, it 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 coincides with the rise of music videos and and their more popular aspects. That's not to say that MTV is solely responsible, but the no, concept no. of of visually being able to match song to artist and that as a way to help. And yeah, the the FM radio with 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 the various pop pop hits and how you know the also the transition from disco to to rock as well you know you have all that but but it's definitely you're exactly right on on most of your theory there
1: mhm yeah i i'm just you know so pumped to do this episode you know because the whole crux of the show is the importance of music and wrestling and i'm looking forward to this in particular because we've played a ton of real songs on the show so far but here we're going to talk about some of the songs that helped light that spark and made wrestling music what it is today. Uh, although, <laughs> I will point out something that uh, I came across. I was doing my research and looking at various uh, you know, archives of wrestling themes. And I couldn't help but notice here, Jeff, that there was a lot less uh, creativity Back in the day no. when it came to choosing entrance themes. Because today there there are, you know, a million different songs out there being used by wrestlers. But back then it seemed like guys would just use the same eight or nine songs. Uh, the amount of times I came across Bad to the Bone, Born in the oh. USA, <laughs> Sharp Dressed Man, Eye of the Tiger, Welcome to the Jungle. It, it, it's hysterical.
0: Well, well also... Also, during this time, you have to remember, it was kind of dependent on the on the acts to bring their own music. So it was <laughs> kind of limited to what the guys had in their car and what they were listening to. And everybody's kind of listening to the same thing. I mean, yeah, you'll get you, – uh, and plus, you know, it's, it's one of those things where because of the territory kind of system, you don't know that one act is using – music in, in another territory that, that someone else is using and 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 things of that effect. And and they're the kind of songs, yeah, you know, welcome to the jungle, but but you hear it still in stadiums now when you hear the guitar rip the, the whole stadium stands up and cheers. So you know it may be repeated, but it's something that works. You know, it, it it's one of it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, the, the the thing about music is is there's always the danger. I was think this is what I was thinking about. It's like there are great songs that can be used for wrestling themes, but sometimes it's only the chorus of the song that can be used <laughs> as a part of a great thing. And sometimes there were songs that people used that they had to do some experimentation with, and and Freebirds one of them, because it's just like it takes a little long to get to the to the. Cool part where, you know, you, you need to be at the ring where the really cool part hits, you know, so you get that reaction from the crowd and and the most prevalent one for me that I think in my head is is bad is bad company, because it starts with that ominous piano. But it goes on a little too long before it hits the bad company till the day I die. Right, And, you're, and they eventually got to the point where, okay, let's just start at the chorus because <laughs> everybody's not into Diamond and Tanaka by the time they get down yeah. here because this song is such a downer. An- another one you know that, that people think could be used as a great song for a wrestling wrestler is, uh, is ACDC's Thunderstruck. It just takes too damn long to get to Thunderstruck. The actual word Thunder. So <laughs> nah, it's just like nah, nah, You know, the thirds going on in the guitar and stuff like that. And you're just like, oh, my God. Get all, to the right, fast all right. All right. Come on. We get it already. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, so it's hit or miss a lot of time, but Bad in the bone. I mean, when Armstrong or, um, I think also Adams and, and, uh, and Gino Hernandez used it as their theme yep. song. It, it just it, you know, ba-na-na-na-na. oh crap, here they come. You know that that's what you're thinking. You know, so so you kind of get that sensory memory, and, and you're gonna feel that a lot in, in a lot of these songs. Where I just go, I remember feeling this way, or attributing this song to this type of thing. In addition to it being a wrestling theme, so uh, yeah, no. The, 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 but but back to the original point. Yeah, you know, hey, I have a you know, I have a George Thorogood cassette in my, you know, in my rental car or in the car I'm using to drive to the towns. Hey, can you put this on the loudspeaker and play it for me when I come out? That was pretty <laughs> much what a lot of wrestlers did. You know, Dusty had his way, his Willie tapes in there or whatever. You know, hey, play this Willie Nelson song or whatever. my David Allen co or what have yeah. you. So, yeah.
1: I, I can just imagine the promoter going to the wrestler and saying, hey, do you have any music you want us to play? And the wrestler is like, "Well, I got two tapes in my car: George Thorogood and Leo Sayer." And the promoter's like, Let's go, with "Let's go with Thorogood. Let's go with Thorogood." No,
0: no, you make me feel like dancing. Yeah. A
1: great theme. What are you talking? About? <laughs> and the wrestler's like, "But doesn't that other guy use bad to the butt? Does it matter? Let's go with Thorogood."
0: You bring up another good point here, or you make me think of another good point: is that a lot of the canned themes that they use in the WWE right now are, are basically, they go to the act and go, what kind of music do you like? And they name some acts and they just basically make a kind of a, a cloned version of, of songs because you've done episodes on that themes that sound like other themes. I I believe you've done that, or at least I've watched a YouTube video, (laughs) (laughs) but they still see the importance of having popular music. It's just, well, the artist, you know, that would cost, a million bucks to license their song, you know, just just change a little thing here and there, and it sounds just like them. Yeah, you know, so uh, it, it, they still see the importance of it.
1: Right, right. All right, so after about, uh, what, 20 minutes of preamble there, uh, we can get on with the show. It's the
0: banter <laughs> section is over. It's let's the banter. It. It's
1: the banter portion of the show. Uh, let's get to some of the real songs of the territories, and we are going to... Be looking at eight songs today, eight wrestlers or tag teams, and we're going to start off here with the Junkyard Dog. And before he was grabbing them cakes in the WWF, JYD was coming out to this song in places like Mid South and World Class. This is by Queen, and it's off of their 1980 album The Game. This is the big hit, Another One Bites the Dust. <laughs> This is, I think, the perfect song to start us off with here, Jeff. First of all, this is a hit, a big hit. Three weeks at number one on the charts, platinum in America, gold in the UK, it's the best-selling Queen single of all time, and in my research of potential themes, I also noted that there weren't a lot of deep cuts being used back in the day. Pretty much all of the themes on this episode and the ones I looked up for research were hits. And that makes total sense because if you want to hook the audience with entrance music and get them to react immediately and get them to be further invested in the wrestler, you go with a song that has a ton of popularity and is tremendously catchy and has memorable hooks and another one bites the dust checks all of those boxes that iconic, funky, chic-like bass line from John Deacon. Mm-hmm. It's very it's
0: it's very Bernard Edwards. Very Bernard Edwards.
1: Yes. The kind of disco-y flavoring with the guitar work and the drums and Freddie's voice, which just cuts through all of it like a hot knife through butter. This is a crowd pleaser. This is going to get people on their feet and reacting and invested ...in a wrestler, which is what you want from a wrestling theme. And with the Junkyard Dog, he didn't need a theme like this... uh, ...because in his own right, he was a very popular and charismatic guy. But the beauty of wrestling music... ...and this has been reinforced time and time again on this show... ...is that great music and popular music... ...can enhance and enrichen the atmosphere of a wrestling show and enhance the popularity of a wrestler too. So JYD using this memorable, catchy song just makes him that much more popular with the fans. And I guess you can say the same for any wrestler there, Jeff. It's it's kind of a, a universal it, statement. It
0: it achieves two things. It gives the funky bass line, which oddly enough, reading up on the history of this song, I didn't realize Michael Jackson had suggested they recorded something like this—a disco type tune that people could dance to. That that was kind of shocking in my way. Because, but every kid my age had this single. I had this forty-five. Sports teams would sing it. You know, uh, uh, every Pee team I knew had this. You know, it was cross-cultural, black-white. Asian kids, whoever, everybody knew. Another one bites the dust. Everyone knew the baseline to this because it would play at the roller rink, you know, for shoot the duck, or or anything else. It it, it everybody knew this, and it achieved two things: it gave JYD the chance to dance, which the people loved, and it had violent lyrics. It had lyrics about violence, so it, it achieved two. Th- it, it 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 achieved things twofold. It let you know. JYD is funky, and JYD can kick some ass, and that's all you really needed for, for this product, and, and it was so huge with the kids. If, if, it's a shame that they had to overdub it on, on network stuff, because you can just see the people dancing in the audience as the bass comes out. They're all on JYD's side. That's why he's such a mega baby face, and this song really helped him do that.
1: You kind of stole my point there, to be honest. I was going to say next that... <laughs> you're, you're, you're right, though. You're right. This song is a great fit for JYD in terms of its composition because it is, musically speaking, on the poppier side of the Queen catalog. This album, The Game, was a turning point for the band because this is the first Queen album that has synths on it. And that lighter, dancier sound... Would reappear to greater effect on the next album, Hot Space. But anyway, Bites the Dust, musically, is fun and funky and dancey and perfect for the dance floor. But lyrically, it's a different story. Uh, the lyrics of the song are indeed quite violent and aggressive. Uh, John Deacon, who wrote the song, was partly inspired by the St. Valentine's Day massacre shootings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve walks warily down the street with the brim pulled way down low. Ain't no sound, but the sound of his feet. Machine Machine guns guns ready ready to go. go. Yeah. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? Out of the doorway, the bullets rip to the sound of the beat. Yeah! Another one the dust. So it's this upbeat, brightly colored, funky song that's referencing violence, extreme violence, and the anticipation That comes with impending violence, which you can certainly tie into pro wrestling. And you can tie it into the Junkyard Dog as well. Because he may look like a fun and colorful character with the dog chain and the headbutts and the thump and all that stuff. But he could get pretty violent on his own right. You know, the dog collar matches, the Mm -hmm. ghetto street fights, all the other bloody gimmick matches. JYD, when he wanted to he meant serious business. So him and this song work together well in that sense.
0: Yeah, and it, it's weird. The, the the chorus lyrical setup is a lot like, to me, I always compare it to a Junior Walker and the All-Star Shotgun when they go into the right turn, right turn, right turn type thing, like it's a drive-by shooting. It, it, it's, it's very much like that, and it conveys, you know, 20s gangsters in Chicago, you know, with, with the Tommy Guns, riding around it's just it's such a it's a great tune and and for jyd to use it you know with with the 70s uh you know i mean disco was going out of style by 1980 but still you know to, to to hold on to kind of the funk aspect of it really helped his character down south which was you know big into you know bass heavy type of music
1: yeah And lyrically, it's sort of a motivational rah-rah song as well. Because Mm -hmm. the second verse is about this guy getting stomped on by his partner and kicked out. How do you think I'm going to get along without you when you're gone? You took me for everything that I had and kicked me out on my own. And then the third verse goes, There are plenty of ways ways. (laughs) you can hurt a man and bring him to the ground. You can beat him, you can cheat him, you can treat him bad... And leave him when he's down. Yeah. But I'm ready. Yes, I'm ready for you. I'm standing on my own two feet. Out of the doorway, the bullets rip. Repeating the sound of the beat. Oh yeah. So it's the classic story of the hero rising up out of the pit of despair. And standing on his own two feet. And he's ready to fight the world, guns blazing. So for JYD, the beloved face, this is the theme that can be an inspiration for him to defeat his opponents. So it, it works in that regard as well, Jeff.
0: And at the same time, it's not a guy necessarily wearing a white hat. It's it's a, This is a bad dude who lives in a bad world, but he's badder than everybody else in this world.
1: True, yeah, yeah. And with JYD, he's had quite the funky theme history too. Uh, this song, Atomic Dog by George Clinton, yeah. which is another big hit, And, of course, Grab Them Cakes, his main WWF theme. So quite the funky theme history for JYD, in which, you know, a little stereotypical perhaps, given that he's a black guy. But, uh, you know, Jeff, it it wouldn't be wrestling without stereotypes, now would it?
0: And he wouldn't be as popular without his quote-unquote demographic. I mean, if he was using another different tune. I mean, if he's coming out to class I mean like Southern classic rock yeah. in Louisiana I mean he's, you know if he's coming out to the almond brothers he it, it ain't it's not the same thing so you know what it's odd I do associate this more with his WWF run in the limited time that they could use the song and then eventually I got to watch him use this in mid-south and and it and the reactions are the same. So, and, you know, even in the NWA, I think for a very short time before he made the jump to the national, he was using this song as well. And it's, you know, it, it you know, it, it's just a great song. What can yeah. you say? I, I, I recall the B side a little bit more too, just kind of shocking me into it because, uh, it's called uh, don't try suicide, which is such a weird song for an eight year old to have to listen to the <laughs> lyrics of, but, uh, no, and I remember the other thing was I, I, I actually do have a note on here, and this will reveal a little bit about my childhood. Um, I was raised Pentecostal. So this is one of the songs on the, uh, on, we, we got this, I went to this, this revival type thing at my church, where they were talking about the evils of classic rock and and popular music, and this was one of the songs on the list because apparently there was like backwards masking when they're saying another one bites the dust. It's like uh, start to smoke marijuana, <laughs> and you're just <laughs> like as again, it's like well now I gotta throw out my Queen records because it encourages drug use. I mean, but that's you know that's also part of the time and place of the 1980s South, so to speak.
1: Up next, we're going to go to our first tag team of the episode, The Midnight Express, managed, of course, by Jim Cornette and his trusty racket. Now, there have been a few different versions of the group over the years. It started with Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, and Norville Austin, but the most popular versions, the one that people think about the most, are either Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry or Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. Regardless, though, of which duo or territory it is, their entrance music pretty much remained the same. Uh, It's by the legendary composer Giorgio Moroder, off the soundtrack to the film Midnight Express. This is called Chase. transition here from a standard studio album track by a band, a full-fledged rock song with vocals and whatnot, to this electronic instrumental by a composer from a soundtrack, from a film score, which is quite the transition and proof really that wrestling promoters and wrestlers themselves did not look to just one source or one genre of music for their themes. They found songs from all avenues of music and pop culture. Now, it's also proof that sometimes the connections between the wrestler tag team and the song were uh, flimsy at best. Because the Midnight Express tag team and the film Midnight Express obviously share a name. That's, that's pretty obvious. But that's about it, really, because the tag team did not take its name from the film. Uh, The team was not inspired by the film in any way. Uh, I'm sure they'd be a a pretty harrowing tag team if they were. (laughs) But, uh, but, But no, Dennis Condry explained once that he got the name Midnight Express because they all dressed in black jackets, they all drove black cars. And they all partied past midnight. So it's really just a coincidence there, Jeff.
0: You're telling me they, they weren't trying to smuggle hash out of turkey? No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen Midnight Express, the movie?
1: Not in full, but I've seen clips.
0: Uh, it 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 holds a certain, certain place in the lexicon of 1980s childhood. Because, of course, if you ever saw the classic comedy Airplane... Peter Graves' character turns to the child and goes, "Have you ever been in a Turkish prison?" Yes. <laughs> comes from comes from Midnight Express, where a college kid who who tries to smuggle hash out of out of uh, out, out of Turkey ends up in a prison serving thirty years when he thought originally four, having a few um, alternative lifestyle encounters within there. It, it's very. It's very 1970s character driven. And this the song here is is uh, played over a car chase while Brad Davis's main character tries to make his first escape from the authorities, including the American cop who is trying to uh, who is basically working with the Turkish government to keep everything on the up and up uh, in terms of, you know what? He has to be brought to justice. He's not going to be let off scot-free, played by the amazing Bo Hopkins great character actor who I who I actually do love but yeah there's a lot about the Midnight Express that's that's disconnected I mean you, lover boy Dennis and beautiful Bobby and they're these both these Alabama <laughs> <laughs> that you just look at and you go huh you know they're 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 introduces from the dark side and they're coming out wearing the black jackets but also hot pink underneath <laughs> so you know but this you know it's a very synth pop but it's iconic and it and and the Midnight Express without this music, if you watch the bad overdub on the network, everybody to a fault who has some sort of critical knowledge of the Midnight Express in their prime goes, it's just not the same without that. And. Yeah, yeah. I I was most interested because I had never read up on the background of this song, and it turned out that uh, Alan Parker, the director of this movie, who directed some great films, uh, Fame, uh, The Commitments, which I absolutely adore as as a movie. Um, a couple others that are classic that people are going to kick me for, for not remembering his classic filmography offhand, but that, that Alan Parker went to uh, Mordor and asked for a song that sounds like Donna Summers. I feel love, which amazed me. I was like, I had never made that connection before in my life. And then, then also just including included on this was uh, um, the, the arranger of the, of this song is Harold Faltemeyer. Uh, The guy who wrote "Axel F" for "Beverly Hills Cop," Mm -hmm. uh, another very iconic synth pop type song. So uh, yeah, but but in terms of setting the mood, the 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 the, the baseline here to start off with in the synth music, it it really did set the tone for Cornet and the Midnight Express, who had you know the sparkly jackets, and they came out as an act with him being the brash one, and they're just kind of walking down. They they kept their mouth shut. And they just did their talking in the ring. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great song.
1: It's funny, you look at the Midnight Express, this southern tag team with these glorious mullets and the, the loudmouth Jim Cornette as their manager, you wouldn't think to yourself, hmm, I bet these guys love their Italian disco music. <laughs> so it, it is an odd mix from the aesthetic standpoint. Uh, having said that though uh, Chase is uh, You know it's a pretty even keeled song Has a sense of Urgency to it It's, it's got a driving beat And there's uh, the nice contrast of synths With the higher Roland synth Doing the main melody And the lower Mini Moo during the bass line But it's not a wild and crazy Super fast disco song It's rather tame and methodical you might say. And looking at the Midnights, you can see some similarities because the Midnight Express was a methodical tag team, but they also had some urgency to them. They weren't lumbering clods. They can move around the ring. So just as there is this high-low combination in the song with the synths, there's this this kind of high-low combo with the tag team where they could punch and kick and brawl but they could also move and fly and be athletic too. So there are some connections between this song and the tag team, Jeff.
0: Well, yeah, and the Midnight Express in its different incarnations each had a different personality to it, which is which is a great great thing for a tag team to be able to evolve like that. I, I uh <laughs> I'm just going back to your comment. I don't think they were sitting around thinking about Italian. And I'm like, well, maybe they liked 70s anti-authority type of movies that they are sitting around. Maybe they thought of themselves as that. I you know, it, I, I just think they, 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 they go, hey, we'll be the Midnight Express. Here's a movie. Let's pick up a, a fast-paced song from it. And the only really fast-paced song from it is this car chase thing. And, and, it, and it fit. And it, and it really defined each iteration as a team.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Something else about this song, uh, or I guess the Midnight's relationship with this song, is that eventually, uh, as has happened with so many other wrestlers, the companies that they worked for decided to stop using Chase and Mm -hmm. instead go with a much cheaper sound-alike, you know, a a cover. um, To quote Mr. Burns, the... Non-union Mexican equivalent. you're <laughs> Spielberg. Yes. <laughs> so eventually, the Midnight Express got a new theme by a guy named Mark Hallman. That is simply called the Midnight Express theme. It's, you know, a a fairly decent sound-alike of Chase. And that, you know, I I suppose is evidence of just how closely tied this song were The Midnights. Because in so many cases, a wrestler has a popular song. And when they change it to to an in-house or production library song, it's just completely different. But there are other times, like in this case where they try to replicate the original theme as best as they can to evoke the same reactions from the audience as the original does.
0: Well, it also coincides with Stan Lane's involvement in the group and, the and you know, just as the music became more slick as they went to this remake, The Midnight Express was far more of a slick type of tag team. Uh between Le- uh, between Lane and, and Eaton versus Condry and Eaton or e- or, or Austin Rose and and, uh, and and Condry, which is what was more of a dirty for lack of a better term tag team. I mean, Stan Lane had model good looks. And he brought legitimacy to to the sweet Stan as opposed to Dennis Condry, who looks kinda like your creepy uncle who would be <laughs> on the porch with a beer. And and, and and Bobby Eaton, who looked kinda like your no good cousin, who, you know, was working on the truck in the front yard. So it, it I mean, and that's not disparaging to them kids. That that's the gimmick and that's what made them phenomenal. So so I think I think I think it also there's a bit of ironic symmetry there as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned earlier that uh, wrestling promoters typically picked hit singles. Mm
0: -hmm. Well,
1: this song, despite being part of a score, was actually a hit single. It was a top 40 hit. It reached uh, 33 on the Billboard charts. And that may seem strange to some people, but if you know who Giorgio Moroder is, it's not. Because that guy has the magic touch when it comes to producing hits. Not just for himself, but for others as well. Because you brought up Donna Summer, Jeff. He produced pretty much the majority of her big disco hits. Uh, He's worked with David Bowie, Kylie Minogue, Blondie, Janet Jackson, Daft Punk, Bonnie Tyler, Sparks. He's made the soundtracks for uh, Midnight Express, American Gigolo, Scarface, Flashdance. He has two Oscars two Golden Globes, a hell of a mustache, <laughs> and a boatload of big songs, Jeff.
0: You have to answer something for me because I did not look this up and I'm not going to screw up my internet right now to do it. Um, was the version of Midnight Express that went to 33, was it the original? Or was it like a uh, 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 product of its time where it was like a disco remix version of Midnight Express?
1: I think it was the disco version of the song. If I'm not mistaken, kind of
0: like kind of like the disco remix version of you know the Star Wars. Oh, the Star thing. Wars, oh, I yes. That. I don't care what <laughs>
1: says. that song's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, another trend of the era: the uh, the, the discofied yeah. versions of songs. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Let's head on down now to world class championship wrestling in Texas. That's where we'll find our next wrestler, who is a member of the famous Von Erich family. Uh, Fritz Von Erich, the patriarch, ran the promotion during its heyday, and his sons wrestled there as well. Uh, Mike, David, Chris, Kevin, and this guy, Kerry Von Erich, the fourth son and the most well-known of the group. Uh, Kerry used a bunch of different songs in his career, Uh, Crying in the Rain by Whitesnake, Jump by Van Halen, and yes, even Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. But this song is by one of my all-time favorite bands, Rush. This is off of their 1981 album, Moving Pictures. It's the opening track, Tom Sawyer. Once again, the connection between the song and the wrestler is a lot like the bridge in Temple of Doom. A bit rickety. <laughs> Kerry's nickname in World Class was the Modern Day Warrior. And wouldn't you know it, the opening lines in the song are A Modern Day Warrior, Mean, Mean Stride, Today's Tom Sawyer, Mean, Mean Pride. Ba 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 ba! Ba 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 ba!
0: to some Rush brother because I am Rush was my first actual rock concert that I ever went to I love Rush I cannot listen to Tom Sawyer without hearing Mark Lawrence's voice in my head saying the modern day warrior carry about Eric comes to the ring you know it's uh, moving pictures side one is an all-time let's put it this way another thing they used to have they used to have sides on albums kids you had side one and side two, but that is a murderer's row side. Tom
1: Sawyer, I, Red Barchetta, Barchetta YYZ, YYZ Limelight. Lime Lime one Come after on. the other. Bang, bang, Come bang, on. bang.
0: Oh my God. I, I, my first concert, because I was in marching band as a kid in addition to a little bit of you know, other other things, but every drummer wanted to be Neil pert so my first adult concert after I got my driver's license on my own, Presto tour for Rush. Everybody else in the band had been to the Hold Your Fire tour and other things. Rush, all-time great band. This song, all-time great song, even though my best friend and improv partner hates Rush and hates this song. But in terms of a wrestling theme, it is great. You get the, uh, the synth and the drums all alone there you get the introduction modern day warrior mean mean yeah and and then but up but up just as Kerry von eric is getting out to the arena and it it's it it works so much as a package even though Kerry von eric for his place in time worked i'm not the biggest Kerry von eric fan in the world i know ed in san antonio will kill me for that my friend but uh, you know he was he was the hottest baby face there I know you say the connection is rickety. It's not if you watched World Class Wrestling as a television product. And once I got cable, World Class was on almost every day reruns on ESPN. It was during that time where they were showing nothing but like in the afternoon. The, the lineup was, I think, World Class and AWA, you know, towards its death knell. You you could get wrestling every day on ESPN before it became talking heads and, and reporter shows. So every, every time Mark Lawrence, modern day warrior, Carrie Von Erick, comes to the ring to the cheering of the fans and boy, the ladies love her, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, this is, this is an all time great song. Moving Pictures, one of my favorite albums and Rush despite their love. I mean, God love them. The Neil Peart lyrics suck. <laughs> and <laughs> whenever he wrote a song, like the trees, I get what he was trying to do. He's talking about, you know, it, 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 their their love of both Tolkien and and soft socialism <laughs> combined. <laughs> you know, it, you know it, he he got a bit pretentious with his lyrics, but Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Pert as a power trio are just fantastic.
1: Yeah, I love Rush. I love this song. Uh, the the power chords, the growling synth, the drumming mm. as a wrestling theme on its own. It's fantastic. And and, and 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 the growling synth compared to,
0: I mean, uh, combined with Getty Lee's very high vocals, you know, Noah's mind is not for rent, you know, that kind of thing. The, the the kind of the juxtaposition there, and you know, just because I'm an Aquatine Hunger Force fan, I'll go and salesman. Okay, there
1: you go. As far as what the song is about, uh, Neil Peart is the drummer for Rush. And when he joined the band in 74 to replace the original drummer, John Rutsey, he became the band's lyricist as well. So he wrote practically all of the lyrics for the band from the second album, Fly By Night Onward. And Neil, he's a very well-read guy, and he can get quite existential and philosophical with his lyrics. I found a quote here from a 1985 Rush newsletter where he was talking about the themes of Tom Sawyer. And he says that Tom Sawyer was a collaboration between myself and Pai Dubois, an excellent lyricist who wrote the lyrics for Max Webster. His original lyrics were kind of a portrait of a modern-day rebel, a free-spirited individualist striding through the world wide-eyed and purposeful i added the themes of reconciling the boy and the man in myself and the difference between what people are and what others perceive them to be namely me i guess now that's some pretty heady stuff for a wrestling theme you don't often find wrestling themes nowadays ...that have a heavy Ayn Rand influence. You know, wrestling is is not that kind of venue in general. So when you have lyrics like... ...the world is, the world is... ...love and life are deep... ...maybe as his skies are wide... ...today's Tom Sawyer, he gets high on you... ...and the space he invades, he gets by on you. you. (laughs) It does lead to a bit of an intellectual clash of sorts... But still, you know, regardless of how philosophically dense the lyrics can be, so much of wrestling, if you want to boil it all down, is centered on the actions and the attitudes of the individual. Individual triumph, individual achievement, individual struggle, etc., etc. So yeah, maybe the lyrics are a bit too much for a a down-and-dirty wrestling show like this one, but... The overall meaning of the song can work for wrestling as a whole, I think.
0: Well, it, it can, but but Kerry Von Erich might be dumb as a post <laughs> when he when he so so giving him depth is kind of hard cuz you know, he was basically, you know, I bodybuild, I play sports, I I bang hot chicks and, and I take drugs. That that was his life pretty much. He was a rock and roll lifestyle, but he was also a free spirit in that way. And the Tom Sawyer thing fits. And I, I absolutely love the catch the mist, catch the myth, catch the mystery, catch the drift. It's such a it's such a cool thing. And Tom <laughs> Sawyer, Tom Sawyer an anti-authoritarian figure. Kerry Von Eric, you know, let, let's not ascribe that to him. But but he was his own man in many, many ways, much to his detriment at, at, at some point. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your favorite Rush song?
1: Oh man, that's a tough one. That's, that's a tough one. Cause I have a lot. Oh, <laughs> um, I oh
0: I have a whole li- I mean the catalogs. Is my yeah. Song. Yeah.
1: What I've been listening to a lot more lately is time stand still.
0: Oh, it's a great song. It's a great with, song. With, with the xylophone and, and the baby
1: uh, man and baby yeah, man yeah. in
0: there. But I, yeah, I, I go between that a lot. I go between uh, finding my way. And I also, I love fly by night. I love the baseline. Doom, 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 doom. doom, doom. You know, I, I, that, Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a very bad bass player, but I really, <laughs> that, that, no, my, my thing was, it was, <laughs> it's weird because in my, in my growing up and in my coming of age in college, in terms of, you know, getting into music, that's when Rush decided they were going to get experimental with rap. So they had the bones, bones where yeah. you're just like. God, <laughs> why is Getty Lee rapping right now when he was a great synth pop? You know, but he was trying to gel with the times and I get it. But yeah, no, Rush has just a phenomenal catalog. And, uh, you know, this is their most famous song, I think. So, you know, but it
1: fits as a wrestling theme. Definitely, definitely. Uh, do you want to hear my pseudo Rush story, Jeff? Uh, sure. Okay, so if anyone doesn't know the history of Rush... They are a trio of Canucks. They're Canadians. And the way they broke into the States was this radio DJ in Cleveland named Donna Halper played Working Man on the radio one day. And the song just blew up and Rush got a U.S. recording contract out of it because of Donna Halper. And she's actually thanked in the liner notes of the first two Rush albums. And she's also in the rush documentary and when the band got their star on the hollywood walk of fame she spoke at the ceremony so safe to say she's played a pretty important role in Russia's history Uh, cut to august 2013 and um uh, not to get uh, too depressing here uh, but my mom had just died of cancer and being jewish we do this thing called Sitting Shiva, which is where we invite people over the course of a week to come to the house and mourn with us and talk about our loved ones and, and eat, you know? <laughs> Lots of eating. <laughs> and, and one day during this, this Shiva period, my dad, who has worked in radio for decades, introduces me to this, this woman, this radio friend of his, named Donna.
0: Oh, and nice.
1: I say hello to her and we chat for a bit and she, she, she looks very familiar to me but I can't quite place her and it's only after she's left that my dad tells me oh you know that woman Donna that you met earlier she's the one who discovered Rush and played them on the radio and I was like <laughs> wait what that was her dad, oh my that god earlier? It hit me right there. That was Donna Halper, and I didn't realize it. But luckily for me, Donna is from Massachusetts. She still lives in Massachusetts, and I have met her and talked with her on many more occasions since then, including about Rush. So it's a happy ending for my little story there, Jeff.
0: Uh, One of my favorite uh, channels on YouTube is uh, Lost in Vegas. And watching them deconstruct and listen to Rush's Working Man and YYZ for the first time is one of my favorite joys in life. To just go watch people, you know, who aren't already turned off to the over classic rockification of of Rush songs, discover it, and it it's, it's really cool and check it out. But that's an awesome story, dude. <laughs> it really is. When you when you get those six degree of separation type things, I, I I I dig those types of tales.
1: Well, so far, Jeff, we've had some very popular songs on this episode. And what those songs have in common is that they are all from around the same time period. You know, late 70s, early 80s. This next song bucks that trend by a (laughs) wide margin. (laughs) Because the music was composed in 1867 by Jacques Offenbach. And the lyrics were written in 1942 by Thomas Holcomb. What song is this? You may be asking at home. Well, it's the theme music for Sergeant Slaughter. This is the Marine's Hymn. like on the Wrestlemania themes episode where we discussed the Kid Rock song New Orleans being used for this year's mania in New Orleans it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why Slaughter would have this song for his theme because he's a marine in the wrestling ring he was a marine in real life he was a drone instructor at Paris Island allegedly
0: allegedly
1: allegedly allegedly okay fine fine but regardless, of course, you're going to give him the Marines him. It's a, it's a no-brainer. So I don't think there's going to be that much analysis with this one, Jeff.
0: Look, there is no more iconic military presence in terms of a gimmick in wrestling than Sergeant Slaughter. To the point where he crossed over into pop culture as a member of G.I. Joe and got a second wind on popularity there. When you say tell, name a wrestler who was in the military or name a wrestler with a military gimmick, Sergeant Slaughter is the first one most people will go to. It's it's not a it's not a shock, it's a classic theme. It was very prevalent in my childhood cuz I grew up in an area where there was a military base for all four branches within a half hour, which is why I ended up in the area I was. Um my dad helped train Marines at Little Creek Amphibious Base, um, in terms of engineering and how ships worked. Um, so yeah, and and my, <laughs> it was weird when I was reading. I you know everybody knows from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, we'll fight our nation's battles and land on the sea. I I had never read like the third verse. Of, of the Marines hymn, where they basically just say, yeah, in heaven, the Army and Navy will be there, but Marines will be guarding the streets. You know? <laughs> it's such a, a fu to the other. It, it reminds me of the Kiefer Sutherland line in A Few Good Men, where he looks at Tom Cruise and goes, yeah, we Marines love you, Navy boys. Whenever there's trouble, you give us a ride. It's such a badass line in, in the theme, and you don't think of, I mean, you think of the Marine hymn as more of a, time capsule of the history of the Marines, not a badass screw you other branches of the military song, but kind of is in some ways.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh, that's a classic military thing uh, of all the branches. They just shit on each other so much.
0: Oh but... yeah. Oh God. Yes. And everybody, yeah. craps, everybody craps on the Navy. Cause yeah. it's like, Oh, you guys were afraid of the real physical stuff. And then when you like, uh, my dad was in the Navy. So and 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 we we lived in a neighborhood with army and stuff like that and it was always it was always mocking cuz like in the navy when you go i think it's across the uh Suez Canal and the Panama Canal and I think the first time around the international date line it's a lot like a fraternity hazing with a lot of like weird you know kind of for lack of a better term homoerotic type of <laughs> types of thing hazings that would go on in there and the Navy would just always be like, oh, yeah, well, we were digging in mud under barbed wire while you guys were playing, you know, village people on the ships and stuff like <laughs> that. So, you know, you, you'd get those kinds of comments when I was growing up. So it was kind of, you know, it, it it's it, it's you know, all all. But the Marines are always seen as the toughest of the branch is they are the uber. Males. No matter what the army wants to tell you, the Marines always think of themselves as the baddest boys in the bunch, and it fit. It fits Sergeant Slaughter's character.
1: Yeah, yeah. I th- I think you know, you've got Queen and Rush and Giorgio Moroder. All of them modern artists and modern songs, and here is this classic, no nonsense, dignified military song. And to a Marine, it's this sacred symbol of pride and sacrifice. Here's health to you and to our corps, which we are proud to serve. In many a strife, we fought for life and never lost our nerve. And if you look at Slaughter's theme history, most of his entrance themes, especially in the WWE, are also these military songs. Mm-hmm. Hardcore by Jim Johnston, which is this uh, drill instructor type song. Stars and Stripes Forever by John Philip Sousa, which is more of the the classic patriotic marching band music. And it's like, yes, he should have this music because Sergeant Slaughter is not the all-American babyface with the full head of hair and the good looks and he's coming out to Born in the USA. No, he's a balding, mustachioed, barrel-chested, ill-tempered drill instructor with a jaw that could crush diamonds. Lantern jaw, as they say. He should be coming out to the no nonsense military music because he is a no nonsense military guy, Jeff.
0: And not only that, look, there's a long history of patriotism versus jingoism in wrestling. Sergeant Slaughter, one of the one of the major players in that, in the seventies and eighties, you know, and, and, and military themes, anything from, you know, his work in mid Atlantic with, with uh, Don Kernodal And, uh, I can't remember the other net private gym. The name's escaping me, you know, armies, uh, you know, foreign invaders, you know, they're, they're all a major part of professional wrestling lore, And so, of course, this is the time, this is the patriotic portion of our program right now. You hear the Marine hymn, back in the day, you stand up to show reverence for it. So you already have the crowd on their feet.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this song is also public domain. So, theoretically, he could have kept it forever. But I imagine, you know, it it would have been a bit difficult for Slaughter because eventually he did become an Iraqi sympathizer. And I I don't think the Marines hymn would have been a good choice for music at that time, Jeff.
0: Oh, the the heat would have been terrible and would have been more than even WWF at that time was getting. I mean, you got to understand how tasteless that angle came off in real time when you were living through it. It was absolutely – everybody was like, you know what? we're We're going through through this thing right now where people could die. And here's the WWF trying to, to trying to market WrestleMania around it. And it's just like you morons. No wonder people aren't buying tickets to this WrestleMania you have to move it to the sports arena. but but but, to go back to what the lyrics say, I mean, from the Halls of Montezuma is based on their involvement in the Mexican- American War. Shorts of Tripoli, Barbary Pirates when uh, Jefferson sent them uh, to that region. Yeah, you know, it's a ty- It's it's a it's a lyrical history of the Marines, pretty much.
1: Yeah, there actually is uh, one more thing that I want to bring up with Sergeant Slaughter here. Most of us are probably aware that Slaughter was not just a wrestler, but also a character on GI Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. He voiced himself in the cartoon series, and they also made action figures out of the guy. Uh, Slaughter was. More than just a wrestling icon, he yes. was a pop culture icon. But were you aware, Jeff, that Sgt. Slaughter once put out an album?
0: I am vaguely recalling this album, but I cannot put my finger on any titles or songs on it. So
1: in 1985, Slaughter put out an album called Rocks America. It's credited <laughs> to Sergeant Slaughter and Camouflage. He's given co-writing credits on most of the songs. And there are such songs as Love Your Country, <laughs> The Hurt Is Gone, Missing in Action, Happy Birthday, Miss Liberty, and the big single which was called The Cobra Clutch, which was also actually Slaughter's theme song for a period of time.
0: Look at everybody and the American way. life and liberty, and the flag.
1: Long- So, yeah, Sergeant Slaughter has an album. Why? Because it was the 80s, and everyone had an album. <laughs>
0: oh, in the early 80s, wrestlers and albums, I mean, you had Jerry Lawler putting out albums, Dusty Rhodes, I think, put out a couple records, if I recall correctly, at least singles. And you're just like, why are these people who you know can't sing? They can barely talk, for the <laughs> love of
1: God. Let's go back to music that's somewhat more current, uh, Jeff. yes.
0: Yeah. Somewhat. Some- somewhat
1: more current. Uh,
0: <laughs> of course,
1: it, it came out almost 50 years ago at this point, but compared to the Marine's hymn, it's pretty much brand new. <laughs> uh, this song was used as the entrance theme for one of wrestling's most iconic tag teams, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. And whether it was Jim Crockett Promotions, UWF, AWA, All Japan, wherever... When these guys would come out for their murder sessions, I mean their matches, they would come out with this song. It's by another one of my all-time favorite bands, Black Sabbath, off their 1970 album Paranoid. This is Iron Man. So I have this tag team, they're called the Road Warriors. They're big, they're mean, they're scary looking, and when they get in the ring, they just demolish anybody in their way. And if I want to find a song that represents the aura, the look, the style of the Road Warriors, then Iron Man is a fantastic choice. because. We're not dealing with the most virtuosic, frenetic song in the world, but that doesn't matter because when Tony Iommi plays that riff, and Bill Ward smashes on the drums, and Geezer Butler lays down that deep bass, and Ozzy wails away on the mic, the sonic weight of it all is so powerful. It doesn't have to go crazy with the 200-mile-an-hour guitar solos or whatever. It's a monster song. All it has to do is clomp around with its big, heavy metal feet and just stomp on you. And with the Road Warriors, they weren't the fastest tag team. They weren't the most technical guys around, (laughs) but they didn't need to be because they were monsters. They had size and power and aggression and the benefit of no selling on their side (laughs) so iron man and the road warriors are an excellent fit jeff
0: i have to do a joke before i go into my spiel on this because as you were breaking down the lineup of uh Black Sabbath, I fully expected you to go full Homer Simpson talking about Grand Funk Railroad. (laughs) (laughs) The wild shirtless lyrics of Mark Farner, the bong rattling bass of Mel Shocker, the competent drum work of Don Brewer. (laughs) Um, Look, this is my biases speaking here. And with all apologies to the Freebirds who are who, again, are pioneers in this genre and are associated with that song. Next to the 2001 theme which I can't pronounce which is on our call sheet which we'll get to later in Ric Flair there is no more iconic theme to me than Iron Man with the Road Wars. If you want to talk about why the WWF missed a lot of what made the Legion of Doom the Legion of Doom it is because they did not use Iron Man. When you heard the bow that is the equivalent to the Undertaker's gong in modern day parlance. You knew someone was about to die. And when you heard, I am Iron Man, everybody looked to the aisle because <laughs> here come Hawking Animal with the spiked shoulder pads, sometimes on the backs of Harleys, sometimes just with Paul Ellering leading them. But you know what? <laughs> to quote Clubber Lang, you want a prediction? Pain. Pain. All you're doing, and and if you're watching 605 and it came on in an overdub or whatnot, or even on a worldwide taping, and you see the Moki brothers in the ring, those white, pasty, Edgar Winter-looking motherfuckers, <laughs> you knew the Mokis were about to die. <laughs> and not only were you ready to watch the Mokis die, you were hoping they'd die, because you know the Mokis were dying for their art here. And you were going, oh crap, someone, someone may, someone may not walk out of this ring, you know, and when you're a kid. That's the coolest thing about wrestling in a lot of ways is, oh man, there are some dudes that are gonna be destroyed here. And that's all this song does, and then the it's 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 a death knell. It's flight of the Valkyrie's and apocalypse now. It is it is the beginning of the invasion, and the invasion's not gonna last long, kids. It <laughs> is fantastic. I love love everything about this, and you know what, there's there's no one, there's no wrestling fan of that era, whether they're lapsed or not, that if they hear Iron Man, they go, are the Road Warriors here? I mean, it is, it is iconic, and it is perfect for this act.
1: Yeah, the intimidation factor of both the song and the tag team, and the combination of the two is just genius, because... Mm-hmm. The Road Warriors on their own were scary enough, but when they come out for their entrances and they've got the face paint on yes. and the shoulder pads with the spikes and they look like these post-apocalyptic warriors, you know, like like in the Road Warrior, Mad Max, damn right it's going to make their opponents be even more scared of these guys. With Iron Man, it doesn't just start with the main riff, the da-da-da-da-da-da. You've got that wonderful intro with Bill Ward on his kick pad. Doom, 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 doom. 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 <laughs> the monster is approaching. He's stomping towards us, and then this roar, this just comes smashing in. An otherworldly voice. I am Iron Man. And it's like, oh, God, everybody just run. Da-na, da-na-na, da-na-na. So I just love that similarity with the intros to both Iron Man and the Road Warriors. As oh, well.
0: dude, if you are uh, I, I'm getting I'm getting flashbacks to my childhood in the Norfolk scope. Pretty full arena, r- loud, rambunctious, but it's dark. It- it's a dark arena. They don't, they, you know, it's like an old school type of thing. Spotlight on the ring, darkened, somewhat smoky arena, smell of stale popcorn and drinks. Kids of every, every you know, race and, and socioeconomic background, because that's just the way Southeastern Virginia was in terms of wrestling and wrestling fandom. And you just hear that. Doom. Doom, doom, goosebumps, literal goosebumps, as as the crowd realizes what's about to happen and the cheers start to come on. And when when that uh and you know you hear I am Iron Man and there's just a cheer in the crowd, and then the first guitar riff, they're just going nuts. You watch some of these 80s worldwide tapings and you hear the madness of the crowd to basic angles involving the Road Warriors. It was it, it's, it's an experience. It's the kind of pops you don't get anymore in wrestling where where a crowd is just the bloodlust in the crowd is so real and 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 you can taste it in the arena where there you know people are screaming at their top of their lungs. It's like being in the Coliseum in Rome. That's the closest I can I can get to that.
1: You know, it's funny to think about uh, the album version of Iron Man is five minutes and fifty-six seconds long. I wonder how many of the Road Warriors squash matches from back in the day even lasted that long. <laughs> Probably not most that didn't many. <laughs> last, most didn't
0: even last till the guitar solo. Okay, <laughs> but 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 you know, when you got to the, I mean, if if it didn't matter if it was a squash match. Or a big match when that when that guitar riff hit, man, it was on, and they were look. Their popularity is well known, but in the age of stars like Flair and Dusty, who had overwhelming charisma and could work in the ring, this package alone is, is so I I mean, what w- put them on Mount Rushmore of Crockett for the most part?
1: Yeah. I do want to bring this up as well, uh, something that I think is kind of cool. There are two sort of spin-off tag teams to the Road Warriors, uh, both of them in Japan. In 92, uh, Hawk left the WWF and went to New Japan, and he formed a tag team with Kensuke Sasaki called the Hellraisers for a few years, and they came out to Hellraiser by Ozzy Osbourne. Makes sense. And then in 2007, Animal went to All Japan and he also formed a tag team with Sasaki called the Hell Warriors. And they came out to a Megamix theme of both Iron Man and Hellraiser. And, you know, I, I love the brand loyalty to Ozzy Osbourne, Jeff. I, it, it's commendable. It really is. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. o- Ozzy's great. I mean, um, Ozzy, Ozzy, another one on that on that checklist of... of unchristian type of music that I should not be listening to do, yeah. you know, the black Sabbath and, you know, you see the satanic S and Sabbath and, blah, 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 you know, and he bites the heads off of chickens. But again, but again, as we went to before, I mean, look in, in the early to mid eighties, can you imagine Hawk and animal riding the, the roads to towns, just playing a black Sabbath tape in their thing and going, Hey, let's use this as a theme song. I mean, it, it
1: fits them perfect. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna stick with the tag teams with this next one. It's kind the fan what? Kind of. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you on a bit of a swerve on this one. Oh, oh, okay. A little tease then, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> this theme is for the Fantastics, a tag team consisting of Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, and then later on Bobby Fulton and his brother Jackie Fulton. This is another song that was used in multiple territories wccw awa mid-south uwf smoky mountain it's by a trio of men two of whom have beards one of whom is named beard beard well, he doesn't <laughs> actually have a beard uh, it's a whole to do uh, this is zz top off the 1983 album eliminator this is the aforementioned sharp dressed man <laughs> So far, we've had aggressive themes, we've had monster themes, patriotic themes, but there is one type of common wrestling theme that we have not had yet until now, Jeff, and that is the sex appeal theme, Mm -hmm. the good looks theme, the cosmetically pleasing theme. Because wrestling is a cosmetic business, and so many wrestlers have used their good looks and their chiseled physiques and their fancy attire as the basis for their characters and their entrance themes. Uh, Rick Rude with Simply Ravishing. Shawn Michaels with Sexy Boy. Eddie Gilbert with Hot Stuff. Sharp Dressed Man is right up that same alley. I dress well. I look good. I've got money. Clean shirt, new shoes, silk suit, black tie, gold watch, diamond ring, so on and so on. And when the ladies see me in my fancy clothes, looking all nice, they come running just as fast as they can, because every girl Chris about a sharp-dressed man, it's the braggadocio element that is just intrinsic in wrestling, Jeff. Rick
0: Rude was such a badass, he could come out to Charday's Smooth Operator <laughs> and make it sexy, which he did. In, in, for a short time in the N.W.A., if you can imagine such things, um, ZZ Top, Sharp Dress Man and Eliminator is perhaps the perfect bridge between the era of classic rock and the MTV music video age. ZZ Top went from went from very well respected rock band to huge crossover sensations due to the music video age. With Eliminator, the car, the iconic ZZ Top car, all their music videos were the same. They were it was the band traveling around in this car with a lot of hot chicks <laughs> in these in these southern Texas towns where our hero guy was with a bunch of was was stuck in a Cinderella type of story thing where he was, you know, down on his luck. And all these hot chicks came to town with ZZ Top and he you know, he'd go off with the hot girls that that's a ZZ Top video for you. Um I'll, where do I want to start? Do I want to start with the song or do I want to start with the fantastics and a little background on them no, for, for your, your your choice? Okay, look, the Fantastics are a great all-time tag team in terms of the Rogers and Fulton version. They are kind of, they are kind of what the product of the Memphis territory in that every kind of white meat babyface team like this were a Jackie Fargo knockoff. They did the Fargo strut in the ring as well. They are an all-time tag team and they are sometime they they are in terms of in terms of modern day if, if I can if I can put it this way, when the WWE talks about Trish and Lita being the progenitors of the women's division, I've been using progenitor a lot today, and I apologize for that, but I'm catching myself now. As the pioneers of the women's division, the Fantastics are the Mickey James. In the story, They are the people who do a lot of the work but didn't get a lot of the credit, but they are considered an all-time great tag team by those who know. They are Alan Trammell in the world of Cal Ripken and Ozzie Smith. He, a ver- they're a very good team in the era of the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. And their match at Clash 1 is one of my favorite things on Earth, if you get a chance to watch it. Because it is a fight, and that crowd is hot for a fight. That said, I associate this song not with the Fantastics, even though it followed them everywhere around. I associate Sharp Dressed Man with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin from my time in in Crockett. This is what he used with... And, and it fit perfectly with both teams because, you know, they're, they're doing the Chippendales type of type of gimmick with the bow ties around their neck and the vest looking like strippers coming out and kissing the girls and hugging them and all the teeny boppers want to be with them. But heel Jimmy Garvin also came out with Sharp Dressed Man with Precious Spraying the air freshener so that Jimmy's lungs did not get dirty <laughs> and him playing with his hair. The whole time kind of like if you've ever seen Tom Pritchard play with his hair, Jimmy Garvin kind of did the same thing. He had this luscious kind of curly fro mullet with with, you know, the the, with sparkly pants and suspenders and when you got to the course, they come running just as fast as they can because every girl crazy about a sharp-dressed man, he's gyrating the hips at that same time during the music. And and be it a face or a heel, the women are going crazy for gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. But, yeah, no, the Fantastics also using this song. Um, they kind of did have a Chippendales type of white meat baby face gimmick cross that with the uh, – with the Fargo brothers and the fabulous ones and other various incarnations of the same type of, you know, w- you know, basically they're, they're here for the ladies. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is the sex appeal part of the show kids where, where you see, you know, especially in an eighties crowd, the, the women with the, uh, with the far too much Aquanet in their hair and pastels and pop collars you know of neon shirts under white sweaters coming out to scream at the hot-looking dudes um yeah it, it fit and sharp dressed man it, it is it works as both a baby face and a heel theme which when you look at the lyrics as well you know as as a baby face it's like hey I'm dressed ready to party ready to take the town as a heel I look better than you guys <laughs> deal with it
1: yeah and The important thing about having a braggadocio theme like this is that, yes, it's meant to convey confidence and self-assuredness in the lyrics, which Sharp-Dressed Man obviously does, but you also have to convey it with the music. You know, you can't have a braggadocio, super-confident song be meek and ineffectual. It needs to take charge and be in the driver's seat. Here, it's got that iconic powerful riff, that dun, da, dan, ba, dan, ba, ba, the bomb. driving beat, the two guitar solos, you've got those synths put in there that give the song a kind of electric buzz to it. This song has all the confidence in the world, and thus it makes the Fantastics seem more confident, too. And really, it makes ZZ Top look more confident as well. You know, these crusty bearded rock guys just have a ton of swagger to them.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's driving guitar, Texas kind of rockabilly rock in all their songs. I mean, it's, it's weird because almost all, I mean, it's a little bit like Chuck Berry. If you have one song and you do it different ways, still a great song. ZZ Top kind of suffers from the same type of, you know, you know, lyric chorus, lyric chorus, driving guitar riff, type of rock, but it's, it's also some of the best driving rock you'll ever get. You know, you pop in a ZZ top tape into your car or CD into your car at the time, depending on what, what year it is. And, uh, you know, you can go for an hour just listening to, you know, driving rock pedal to the metal, driving across the plains of, of Texas with tumbleweeds going around and going 90 in a 55 zone that that's what uh, ZZ top is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know I mentioned at the beginning that wrestling promotions around this time would make music videos of the wrestlers doing their moves and Mm -hmm. posing and making their entrances and so forth. If you go on Mr. Lariato's Twitter feed and you keyword search for The Fantastics, you'll find a music video not set to Sharperest Man, but rather another ZZ Top song, Gimme All Your Lovin'.
0: For some, re- for some reason, I associate Everybody Wants You by Billy Squire with them too. Maybe I'm mixing up. They had up. that,
1: too, yeah. Okay. But the uh, Gimme All Your Lovin' video, it's amazing. Because half the video is your standard montage of wrestling moves and Bobby and Tommy interacting with fans at the shows. That's fine. The other half of the video, though, is Bobby and Tommy strutting around the pool and working out and relaxing in the sauna, wearing nothing but Speedos. Mm-hmm. And they're smiling and thumbs-upping the camera and pumping iron, all the while just full-on banana hammocks below the waist. It's, it's incredible, Jeff. Oh, it's the absolute—it's it's the most
0: Memphis thing in the history of Memphis. Because they did, they do, they did this with every type of white meat babyface team, and Coronet took this as a staple as well when he went to Smoky Mountain and and was you know introducing the thrill seekers, you know, the, uh, you know the, was it the the infamous USWA video of was it the new generation, the the team where they're the riding on horseback and they're you know they're, you know you know it, it's it's all I mean yeah it's all beefcake stuff
1: yeah yeah. Oh boy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the resigned oh boy
0: is the best.
1: <laughs> Let's just move on now, okay? So we go from a tag team to an actual stable of Southern gentlemen the fabulous Freebirds Michael P.S. Hayes, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, Buddy Roberts, Jimmy Garvin. This is another team with a deep musical tradition they've come out to willie nelson joan jett and of course they've come out to the dulcet tones of michael hayes and the bad street band with bad street usa but the song we're looking at today is the tentpole theme and the namesake and inspiration for the group itself this is by leonard skinnard and it's off their debut album, Pronounced Leonard Skinner. This is Freebird. <laughs> getting a touch of deja vu here, Jeff, because it wasn't that long ago that me and Joe Gagney on the WCW Slam Jam episode talked about the song Freebird Forever, which we pointed out was a touching quote-unquote homage, shall we say, to the song Freebird. It's a song that's half southern rock ballad and half southern rock guitar explosion, And here we are, nine episodes later, covering the original. And with all due respect to Michael Hayes and Freebird Forever, it just doesn't hold a candle to the original. I mean, because Freebird Forever, it's schmaltzy and autobiographic about the Freebirds, and a little hard to take seriously. Freebird, it's a lot more universally romantic with its lyrics, a lot more emotionally accessible, if that makes sense. And in the first half of the song, with those great backing organs, and Ronnie Van Zandt, his ability to just sound both emotional and stoic in the same verse is outstanding. So, you know, we've all heard Freebird a million times at this point, but when the mood is right, Jeff, you know, the song can still hit you.
0: Oh, it's a great song. It's an absolutely great song, and let me get the uh, disclaimer quantifier out of the way here. There is a problematic issue when you talk about Leonard Skinnerd, mostly because of the Confederate flag icon- iconography or whatever. Or, or, you know, whatever. I've I've had this argument with voices of wrestling people when they wrote the article about the Confederate flag. We had a knockdown dragout over this. So I will say my piece about it, and I will move on. It is a symbol of racism in America now. It has always probably been that to a certain segment of people, but in its time and place, Leonard Skinnerd as a band, and it's mostly because mostly the the icon iconography is difficult because of the fan base, not the band itself. I will also put 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 that on it. I, you know the the. the Leonard Skynyrd as a band came at, at a time when, when I mean, Leonard Skynyrd itself is a very progressive anti-authoritative band in terms of its music. When you listen to like, Gimme Back My Bullets is about, you know, being, it, it's about labor against corporations. You know, uh, Mr. Saturday Night Special is about gun control and the dangers of owning a handgun. They're, they're for my generation, in the early '80s, mid '80s, the Confederate flag was part of a lower white middle class. They, they, it was it was associated with the word "rebel" more than confederacy type of thing. It was it was a certain type of rage coming from the Hesher sect, so to speak coming out of it but at the same time if you watch the dukes of hazard they had a they had the general lee with the confederate flag on the top of it and it was you know it was meant to show the rebel spirit of the duke boys i don't think a lot of people understood that at the time and i was i was was it you that
1: wrote the article andrew i'm not sure if i'm i'm right it was that. not me no not me
0: Okay, I thought you would may have contributed so I, I was going to apologize if I if I was giving you the short shrift by by excluding you here but me and the writer of the article I, I mean look and in wrestling icon I you know in terms of wrestling symbolism people waving confederate flags were waving them for a different reason than people wave confederate flags now you had baby faces in territories waving these flags to try and get sympathy from Southern fans. And it wasn't because of the racist angle necessarily, but you could see how it could be perceived as insensitive. Now, you know, you, you had, you know, Tracy Smothers and the Southern boys in WCW and the NWA Dixie Dynamite in, in Smokey Mountain. You had the rebel Dick Slater in the WWF carrying, carrying Confederate flags to the ring. And, and you look at it now and you go, my God, that's terrible. At the time, you know you, you just they, they it was about the word rebel more than the symbolism of of the civil war so wrestling as a time capsule be it as it may and be it with its difficult past you you have to recognize that. i mean when you see and look the freebirds engaged in racial angles too so so they're not absolved completely just because of this. I mean, if you watch the little Richard Marley angle with Rocky King and WCW, you know, today you, you would go, how the hell did this make TV? You know, Rocky King's coming out there with a Confederate flag on his face, playing a roadie for, for, for Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes. And you're just like, my God, um, as a theme, Freebird is, has a bad company problem because it has the soaring ballad to individuality in the beginning and the driving guitar riff doesn't come in for a good
1: five four or minutes. six minutes. Yeah, yeah. Four or five minutes, yeah. This
0: this is a classic rock bathroom song if you were a DJ. This, In Agata De Vida and Traffic's the Low Spark of High Heeled Boys. If you list, if you worked in album-oriented radio, you put on this song and you could go to the bathroom and not worry about having any dead air. It's a, it's a great song. I don't think it works necessarily as a wrestling theme Perfectly until they got to kind of the 1990 version of the Freebirds, which isn't the real Freebirds. It, it's it's Hayes, Garvin, and and uh, and Gordy. But you get the soaring guitar riff at the beginning. That that that's kind of a majestic southern orchestra playing you in, and then they 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 do like a record cut and get to the driving trio guitar. Solo playing at the end and then Gordy would run the ropes and you just knew it was going to be on after that. That was a cool visual watching Gordy, big old 300 pound dude, running the ropes, getting ready to fight to to the, you know, won't you buy this free bird? Yeah, you know, fly this free bird, whatever the hell the, the lyric is. I can't remember it right now. But but, you know, with the better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but but the entrance itself, you know, to, to use it, you know, with the, bah, na, 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 and they're just kind of waltzing down to the ring in their flowing robes with the problematic Confederate flags. You know, the, the symbol of of Southern and individual rebellion coming down to the ring as either heels or as baby faces, because it worked both ways. You know, it, it, it the lyrics of the song fit Michael Hayes to a T, in my opinion. And. And it, it, it was really, I mean, they were the first. they you know After Gorgeous George, they're like, play this song first when we come down the ring. We want to create this atmosphere. And the guitar riff at the beginning of Freebird creates an atmosphere.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to base your stable on Southern Pride yeah. and name it after a Southern rock song, you might as well go with the biggest Southern rock song of all time. It's a smart move. You know, because if you come out to this song in Texas or Georgia or Louisiana or some other southern territory, you can guarantee that the southern crowd is going to react loudly to this. And the thing with the Freebirds, or at least with Hayes, is that you know he's sincere about his love for Leonard Skinnerd oh, and for yeah. Freebird. So there, there is a sincerity and an emotional attachment. Between the wrestler and the theme, as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, Leonard Skinner is a Jacksonville, Florida product. Product of, I mean, similar product and, and uh, socio-economic background as Michael Hayes. Michael Hayes looks a lot like a Van Zant brother. Let, let's <laughs> not let's not let's not beat around the bush. You know, he has the, he has the dark beard and the bleach blonde hair. That is that is. It's white trash kids that that's that, 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 that I mean not necessarily my people but I knew a lot of people like that you know um it, it's 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 so him and 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 there are a lot of people that thought this was sexy <laughs> you know the, you know the hairy chest type of thing I mean there, there's something very it, it, it's 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 noble in its uncouthness is, right. is how I would right. put it as I watch it. You're just like, he gives no F's when he's, uh, he thinks he is the baddest bitch in the room and he is strutting like a peacock to Freebird. There's a reason why people yell, play Freebird as a joke to every concert. It's because it's an iconic song. It's an iconic team. Everything about it fits. You know, it's just a pro. It's just a problem as a wrestling thing because again, it gets. It takes so long to get to the good yeah. cool part where you're just. But if you're driving and it's like, it's a nighttime thing. It's eleven o'clock. You're not feeling. You know, you're feeling kind of down, and you hear the sun, Yeah, it's like yeah, whatever. And then you get to the. Oh, Lord, I can't change, and you start putting your foot on the pedal a little bit more to the car as you're nighttime driving on the interstate, stuff like that. I mean, you know, there's no better feeling in the world than doing that. So, I mean, I, I love the song.
1: Yeah, when you hear those organs kick in, those, you know. It's like church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're entering
0: church and it's such a pomp and circumstance type thing. It's, 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 that's what makes the entrance so great a, as a wrestling theme.
1: I think it's pretty easy to pick on Michael Hayes for being quite cheesy and yes. <laughs> having a, a questionable fashion sense to say the least. But I, I do give him and the Freebirds all the props and respect in the world for being one of the early adopters of entrance music. I mean, the Freebirds started in the late 70s. And yeah, there's a few examples of wrestlers having music around that time, but not much. But it was Hayes and Gordy and Roberts coming out to Freebird that helped make them a memorable team. And they also probably inspired just a ton of other wrestlers to start using entrance music.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the whole reason Carrie Von Eric started using music, was, well, I need to match this kind of popularity.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, Jeff, we've come to the eighth and final theme of the episode, the final wrestler, and we're ending with a big one. Dare I say, the most prolific wrestler of this entire episode. Sixteen-time world champion, leader of the Four Horsemen. I'm talking, of course, about the Rolex wearing woo! Diamond ring wearing kiss stealin', wheelin' dealin', limousine ridin', jet flyin', son of a gun. The Nature Boy, Rick Flair, who throughout almost his entire career had one song that we have come to know as his entrance theme. This is another classical composition, composed by Richard Strauss, in 1896, and performed by the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra for the 1968 film 2001 A Space Odyssey, it is the dawn section of also Sprach Thrustra. So in the movie, 2001, uh, you hear this song playing during the scene where the, the hominid, the ape creature, is futzing around in a pile of bones. And he picks up one of the bones, a larger one, a leg bone, and starts to smash other bones with it. And you can see him realize that his group, his tribe of fellow creatures, can use these bones as a weapon in order to get what they want, Uh, food, killing other creatures, etc. So this is a song that is tied to the theme of evolution and knowledge and becoming the alpha, the dominator amongst the others. So Flair coming out to this song, it's perfect because he believes himself to be the greatest wrestler alive, the smartest, the most conniving wrestler around, the dominator, the alpha amongst all others. All those other guys are living in the past. He is the evolution of pro wrestling. He's the alpha now. It, it just works so well for him, Jeff.
0: Oh, it's great. Say, say the title for me again.
1: Also, Sprak Zarathustra.
0: I can never say Zarathustra. Thrusta. So I always just refer to this as the theme from 2001, which which gives it short shrift, unfortunately. But I'm I'm my German is not very good, to be honest with you. That's why I went back to taking Latin. Um, I I'm going to talk to the kids for a moment. Look, you guys know Ric Flair right now. As you see him, he is completely self parody. He was self-parody in his second run in the WWE when he was with Evolution. He's been self-parody for a long, long time now. At his peak, when this song came on, there was a tonal shift in the arena. It was, look, it, it, it conveyed, as, look, he, he was brash in his interviews. Don't get me wrong. He was the smack-talking guy that, that you see, you know, that, that the rappers love. But when it came to the wrestling time, when it came to the big matches, when it came to your starcades or your great American bashes and the first sounds of this song came on, it, it, there was a gravity to it. This is the best wrestler in the world coming down. This is the champ. The champ is here. To me, there is no more iconic matching between song and wrestler than Ric Flair and this song. Iron Man's a close second, Freebirds are a very close third after that. But this song and Ric Flair are are so iconic together that you you can't hear it and not I mean, when you the woo sound from WWE as much as I hated it when it first originally happened, it's now become of lexicon. In it that you hear the ba, you hear the woo ba 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 ba, you know that kind of thing. It, it's it was I hated the first time I heard it, Andrew. I it just it drove me nuts. I had, no, no, give the man his respect. Stop this clownish crap. But the way the WWF does things, it's they wanted to announce who it was rather than the music. So you hear that, and it's like okay, Ric Flair's is coming out. We're supposed to cheer right now. Uh, the only time this theme did not work in my opinion. I forget which card it was. I want to say Bash 89 or a Clash 89 when he was facing Terry Funk. But before they played this song, they played Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man before it. And then eventually went into this song or they may have just played Fanfare for the Common Man. Ric Flair is not a common man. Ric Flair is a one percenter. In gimmick and in life, folks, you cannot play fanfare for the common man and have Ric Flair come out. It just does not work. This, on the other hand, the majesty, the presentation, the Kubrickness of it all fits Ric Flair.
1: What I love too about this song is the way it uses the repeated setup payoff technique to build the drama. And to accentuate the majesty, because it starts out with dun 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 the timpani, yeah, dun dun. That's the setup. It's meant to get our attention and get us to focus and wonder what's going to happen next. And then the bena is the big reveal. It's Ric Flair. Here he comes. Look at how majestic and amazing he is. And then it repeats the setup. Dun 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 Except this time, when it does the reveal, it peaks higher. Dun So it's accentuating the majesty of Ric Flair and driving home the point even more. And then it repeats again dun 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 And then finally it just explodes And the orchestra just fills the space and the music is peeking to the clouds And at this point, the song is practically screaming at you, It's Ric Flair! Look at him, damn it! Look at how great he is! Can't you see how great he is? And it's wonderful, because that's who Ric Flair is. He's the egomaniac who will always tell you in his promos how great he is, and how much money he has, and how many women he slept with, and that you should recognize him as the best, as your better. And that's why it's such a great song choice, Jeff.
0: Well, it's it's a perfect wrestling theme because the the prologue with the timpanis and the drums and 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 the prelude are during the time he's walking down that aisle and the drums, you know, are, are, you know, in time with the strut. And by the time you get to the horn fanfares with the bump bop bum bum bump he's climbing he's the in steps. The, yeah. He's in the ring, he's climbing the steps. It's it's announcing his arrival. The, this giant horn fanfare, this this brassy type of sound. It, it, it's announcing someone important is here. And and that's what makes it such a great vision. Visual aesthetic between between the dark arena and the Timpanies in the beginning of 2001 so to speak if you want to go that far even and just and just the bright lights the brassy sound the robe the women all of it it, it just it's such a perfect encapsulation of rick flair of professional wrestling and usage of theme to help forward that um Gosh, what was I what was I going to say? I I, I see a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of parallel to Randy Savage using pomp and circumstance to it as as well. Yes. Even though Gorgeous George used Pomp and Circumstance. Uh additionally, uh oh man, I had a point and I and I forgot what I was gonna use about, but but uh <laughs> just just continue, I guess, because cause I'm I'm I got so I got so into that visual picture of of flaring the horns, I, I forgot. Oh, I know what I was going to say. If, if you watch the network and you watch the 605, sometime around, I think it's November or September of 87, they try and market the horsemen with this. They, they, they put on the graphic of the horsemen, and there's this stupid horn riff. That's almost identical to the horn riff you have here. That's supposed to, you know, but it's more of a majestic, the Kings are here type of thing that (laughs) they only use for a month, but it was the most ridiculous. It was the most ridiculous thing. You know, it was almost like a WWF character should have been coming out, you know, with my knight is here to tell you all the things in the square type of thing, As, as opposed to the baddest guys on the block. So they quickly, thankfully dropped it. But I think it was also meant to mirror this this horn section in in this song as Flair comes to the ring. But uh, it didn't work for that. But it works for Ric Flair. And it works to tell you it's a big title match that's coming.
1: Yeah. And with Flair, that majesty, that elevated ego was also evident with how he looked. You know, the, the coiffed blonde hair, the nice suits, the Rolex, the diamond ring. And, most importantly, the ropes, which just add that extra bit of flair huh? Huh? to the proceedings. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's so stupid, but so brilliant. Uh, I'm Continue. sorry. Uh, and in, in turn, it makes the entrances that much more effective. Because if flair just came out with no robe and just the ring gear, then he wouldn't seem like... Such a big deal. But because he wears these beautiful diamond-encrusted robes that cost more than your rent, then it makes him look like a superstar who can afford all these nice things that you can't. He spent more on
0: spilt liquor than you made. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's my favorite. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, everything about Flair was one-percenter lifestyle. And as we got into the mid-to-late 80s, with the Wall Street thing going on, and and you know, Gordon Gecko and, and all these other things, good. greed is good. It so helped the evolution of the, of the Flair character because he always had, you know, the nice flowing blonde mullet and you know, the 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 fluffy robes and, and whatnot. But you know, I, I look, I'll, I'll tell you how iconic Ric Flair is in my life. I still, one of my dreams in life is to go to Michael's of Kansas City. And to get a custom-made suit with the nice red red velvet in, 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 on the interior, or the red silk on the interior. That's, that's been a dream. Yeah, no, Ric Flair's the best, man. Ric Flair's the
1: best. My dream is to get a girlfriend, but to each his own, I guess. <laughs> Stop watching wrestling. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one more thing here. Like the Midnight Express and Chase, this is a song that has followed Ric Flair everywhere every territory, every promotion, every era that Ric Flair has been in, he has had this song as his entrance theme. Sometimes it's the original version, sometimes it's a straight cover, and sometimes it's like a weird knockoff version of Sprack, like his first WWF theme. know That one, Jeff,
0: is this the night the, the 91 92 run? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. that
1: one always bugs me because it's like a picture frame that isn't centered perfectly. If you just tilt it a little bit to the left, it'd be fine, but it's not quite on the mark, and that bugs me.
0: <laughs> well, imagine how you are if you are like me, a lifelong Crockett guy, and you've watched Arnon Tully go up to go up to there and they don't let them talk. And then you watch the Road Warriors go up there. I don't know if they had gone for their first run yet, so my timeline might be up. But but we can just leave it as, you know, you, you've watched Dusty Rhodes go up there, and you don't see him giving his rap. You see him in this in this yellow polka dot thing dancing with Sapphire. And then you finally go, go and you get to see Ric Flair, and you don't have his theme. You're just like, do they even understand who the hell they've signed here? and what makes them awesome. You know, when you're a young wrestling fan, you're like, good Lord, all your heroes, they screw up every time. And it it gave me such an anti-WWF, animus that I already had to begin with, because I always thought, what is this kitty crap that's going up against my bad men doing bad things to each other? And then to watch people you know go up there and just get so screwed up in so many ways. It's like, how do you not get Ric Flair's theme right? That's how I view it. It's not necessarily, maybe they didn't have the rights to it. I thought they purposely screwed it up. So I'm just going, I'm I'm even more angry about that as I'm watching this in real time, not knowing things, because... You don't know things at the time.
1: So you're saying that you didn't like when the Road Warriors came out with Rocco the puppet? Oh dear lord. <laughs>
0: oh, that that might be that might be the second that might be the worst thing ever done to a hot act. That's even worse than Dusty Rhodes and the Polka Dots, the the puppet with the baddest team on earth. You just go do they even understand why people like these guys? It's almost almost like they were working against them.
1: All right. Well, that was our look at, uh, well, a, a real bygone era of pro wrestling, Jeff. Uh, one that is, in a lot of ways, very far removed from today's pro wrestling. And that's, I think, a, a good and a bad thing. With wrestling music, me personally, I would love to see more mainstream songs